Section 8 of The Woman Movement by Ellen Kay, translated by Mary Budden Mama Brothwick. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 8, Chapter 5 The Influence of the Woman Movement upon Men and Women in General. In their struggle for freedom, for the same opportunities of study, for the same fields of work, the same citizenship as men, women have encountered all possible opposition, from that of the Pope, who recently pronounced the most positive condemnation for the whole movement for the emancipation of women, and that of Parliament to the rough pranks of students. Men's attempt to define the boundaries of women's natural sphere continues always. The woman physician, for example, had to struggle in her student years against prejudice in the dissecting room and in her practice against the professional jealousy of men. The history of emancipation has much shameful conduct on the part of men toward women to record. Great reluctance to recognize the results of women's work is still common. When this work in literature and art, for instance, is compared with men's, the comparison is made not for the purpose of getting a finer understanding of women's peculiar characteristics, but only to disparage it. The energy which men of the present time not infrequently lack, they cannot endure to recognize in women, who often possess it in high degree. In the Romance country, self-supporting working women are always looked upon as a special caste, a caste into which a man does not marry, however high respect he pays, theoretically, to la vierge forte. And yet, how different and more beautiful are the present relations between men and women in general, especially among the Germanic peoples. A friendly comradeship prevails among the young men and women studying in the university, in art academies, music schools, business colleges, etc. In the north, the comradeship often continues from the primary schools through the grades to the university with result advantageous to both sexes. Especially in the years under 20, this comradeship has a significance which cannot be overestimated. Girls who were earlier confined to a narrow, uninteresting, joyless family circle now often find in the circle of masculine and feminine comrades their share of the joy of youth, without which life has no springtime. Youths who formerly had known no other young women than those with whom they should never have come in contact now learn to know soulful, pure-minded girls, and this gives them a new conception of woman. Both sexes now experience together the joys of youth in such fresh and significant forms as folk dancing, sport, etc. They have opportunity for stimulating intercharge of ideas in a great circle and quiet discussion with a few congenial friends. During the last twenty or thirty years, young men and young women have again begun to discover one another spiritually, discoveries which, since the days of Romanticism, have been made only through the stained glass of literature. In the Romantic period, men and women exercised reciprocally upon one another a humanizing influence. A like influence again obtains at the present time, but upon a much broader basis. The men and women of Romanticism formed a group bound together only by spiritual relationship, in which the women aspire to the culture of the men and share their intellectual interests, while the men promoted the women's desire for men's culture, art, knowledge, and distinction.
Now, young people studying in different fields exert a mutual humanizing influence and thereby learn to know one another from the sight of intelligence as well as from that of character and disposition. Thus are dispelled certain illusions and conceptions, almost forced upon them, through which both sexes in the years of adolescence once regarded each other. Men as well as women obtain a finer criterion for the conception of womanliness and of manliness. Both discover the innumerable shadings which these conceptions conceal. Both recognize that the sexes can meet not only upon the erotic plane, but upon a plane that is universally human. Finally, both learn that the more perfect and complete human beings they become, the more they have to thank one another for it. Comprehension in erotic relations is most difficult because there women are far in advance of men. Women's ideal of love, however, is becoming more and more the ideal of young men. Young girls on their side are beginning to understand better the sexual nature of men. The whole world in which men received his culture, won his victories, suffered his defeats, is no longer terra incognita to women. They have lost the blind reverence or the blind hostility with which they formerly regarded the doings and dealings of men. Men, on the other hand, are learning that the domestic labors, for the comfort of the family, which they have thus far regarded as the sole duty of woman, cannot engross her whole soul that domesticity leaves many wishes unfulfilled. So both sexes have begun each on its own side to build a bridge across the chasm which law and custom had dug between them. The young still ponder over the enigmatical antithesis in their natures, yet they find they have very much that is human in common with one another. In comradeship, however, that chivalry vanishes, which, among other things, consisted in the ideal that the young men had always to bear all the burdens and duties. Now, as a rule, the girl carries her own knapsack on her excursions and pays her share of the expenses. But if she really needs help, the youth is quite as ready as before to grant it to her, just as she also, on her part, is ready to assist according to her strength. Honest friendship has replaced rapturous chivalry. This friendly comradeship often satisfies the young man's need for feminine kindness and enjoyment in those dangerous years when, as a young man said, three-fourths of the life of a youth conscious and unconscious is sex life, and nothing can more effectually prevent him from degrading himself than access to a circle where, in quiet and freedom, he meets young girls without an indelicate intruding family surveillance, interfering and asking him about his intentions. If between two such comrades an erotic feeling finally develops, even if the wooing takes place in a laboratory instead of a romantic arbor, the possibilities always exist in the golden haze of love of making mistakes. But both have, however, had opportunities of seeing each other in many character illuminating situations. They have observed each other, not only with their own eyes, but also through the more critical glasses of the comrade circle. On the other hand, it often happens that discussions and intercharge of letters conjure up a congeniality which exists only in opinions and temperament, not in nature. It is fortunate when this is discovered in time, otherwise bitter conflicts may be the result should a strong individual nature wish to mold the other after himself or after his ideal of man or woman. 
for that anyone loves the individuality of another without illusions is still very rarely the case it now happens somewhat more frequently since young people in comradeship learn to know mutually their ideals and dreams as well as in erotic as in universally human aspects but if these ideals and dreams do give a hint of character comradeship begins a true knowledge of character only when it also offers an opportunity of seeing others act not only hearing them speak of themselves such analysis of one's own soul or the soul of others in the atmosphere of tea and cigarettes music and poetry give the interesting masculine or feminine parasites opportunity to ensnare a victim who is then intellectually or erotically often even economically sucked dry but even if such an intercharge of ideas really enriched all, it can be carried to excess and become deleterious to energy for work, directness, and idealism. However beneficial may be the honesty of today in sexual questions, the discussion of the instincts of life, which has now become a commonplace, is also dangerous. These discussions are fraught with the same danger to the roots of human life as is a continual digging of the roots of a plant to see how it is growing. The earlier a marriage can be consummated, the less is the danger of freshness being lost in this way, the greater the prospect that men and wife will grow close together, just as do the men and wife of the people through the difficulty of the common struggle for existence. But if this struggle becomes easier before youth has entirely passed, then there enters often into the life of the man a crisis which the practiced French call la maladie de la quarante ans, the need of the man for a new erotic experience, while those on a lower erotic plane today, as at all times, seek this in transient secret alliances, it leads those on a higher level in our time to the most tragic of all separations. When the man, after decades of the most intimate life together, of the most fateful work together, of mutual understanding, drives the wife out of the home in order to bring in a young wife who has never been to him perhaps never can be to him a fellow fighter and helper as the repudiated wife was but who has for him the charm of the mystery which the maiden had for the man before the days of co-education sexual discussions comradeship and dress reform Women students now escape the earlier danger of the daughter of the family falling in love out of a lack of occupation. They have not the time, often also not the means to permit themselves erotic dreams. There are among them many poor girls who dare lose no single semester, for they must hasten to earn their livelihood. Moreover, such a girl knows that if she should yield to the need for tenderness for support that is so strong in her the same fate could happen to her as to this or that fellow student who after a short happiness was left alone when the lover found a good match and she was left behind not only in her sorrow but also in her work and the more a yearning girl buries herself in her studies the more science or art unlock their riches to her the happier more full of life she feels herself in spite of loneliness scanty means and shabby dress among women students there are also many of the cerebral type mentioned above women who need tenderness neither in their form of friendship nor love yes who fear in both a bond for their free individuality 
these take part in sports discuss jest with their fellow men students open-hearted and unconcerned without thinking whether they please or not all these young girls now go about with perfect freedom even in the romance countries a young woman can now go alone with her bag of books on her racket for in circles where study has not yet exercised its freeing influence sport has brought this about in america student life because of the early entrance of the men into the professions becomes more a one-sided feminine comrade life there the women have to develop their arts of the toilet for each other whom they find more interesting more worthy of pleasing than the masculine sex even in europe feminine comradeship in the student years is at time most intimate for a friendship between a young girl and a young man often ends with love on one side or in an intimate circle a has fallen in love with b but b with c etc such eventualities the wise girl will avoid for they can bring both suffering and obstruction to her work with women comrades she has without the risk an intercharge of ideas which promises study deepens culture opens up new views and gives to all new impulses there exists at least at the present time a difference between the masculine and the feminine method of inquiry of solving problems of apprehending ideas which results in the fact that comradeship between women cannot take the place of comradeship between men and women it is however for deep and beautiful natures often impossible at the beginning of life to be capable in a spiritual sense of more than a single friendship with their own sex for each new spiritual contact becomes a new and difficult problem for such men and women a friendship with a comrade of their own sex is often the richest advantage of their student time often a student in good circumstances finds her joy in taking care of some lonely comrades they find at her apartments in a friendly welcome a few flowers and pictures a tea kettle a fireplace that feeling of homely warmth for which the shivering students have longed a longing which has often driven a lonely impressionable youth from their dreary students room to rough pleasures now when he leaves the little comrade circle his sweetest memories of home his finest dreams vibrate in him and the timid girl goes into the certainty that there is another girl who is concerned about her wretched fate in such a quiet as also in a more lively comrade life both sexes learn to know not only each other but also different classes and in certain european universities the several nations it is not unusual for nine or ten races to be found represented in one small group of comrades life thus becomes everywhere enriched by strong manifestations or fine shades of congeniality spiritual attractions and repulsions cross one another inspiring worries training impressions radiate in all directions it would be quite as impossible to estimate the fructifying influence of such a friendly intercourse as to measure the life which comes into existence on a spring day filled with the sigh of the wind the fluttering of butterflies and humming of bees in such a circle of comrades devotion and capacity for sacrifice are past belief especially in the nation where the girls wear short hair and the young men long hair as a wag characterized the young russians studying abroad that a couple of russian girls for a whole winter possessed together but a single pair of shoes and so could never go out at the same time is one of the innumerable small and great expressions of the feeling of solidarity among the poorest students of the university
When the comrade life assumed the form exclusively of coffee-house visits, then the women had to revolt against it, but they often, alas, allowed themselves to be carried with the stream. Because the coffee-house life at first really gave a certain polish to the intelligence, it could for a short time have its justification, but when a blade is worn out, the artist of life should cease grinding. If, on the contrary, he allows the grindstone to go on continually, then at last he has only the haft in his hand. Formerly it was only the young men, but now even the girls wear out thus their weapons or tools before they ever use them seriously. The darkest side of coeducational life has been that women could demonstrate their equal capability with men in no other way than by the same courses and examinations as those of men. The eagerness of women to prove their like proficiency with men in study and in sport has often had disastrous physical results. These are continually becoming more infrequent thanks to their decreasing prudery in regard to the sexual functions and to the increasing hygienic conscious. The intellectual results, however, continue to exist and are disastrous alike for both sexes. But because of the ambition and consciousness of girls, perhaps still more disastrous for them. The examinations which they pass are often dearly bought. This was not noticed in the beginning, when a woman doctor was still looked at with wonder as a noteworthy product of the culture, and regarded herself also with wonder. Truly, she has sacrificed to grinning and cramming for examination a multitude of youthful joys, but she had, as was thought, won in this way much greater values. This, however, is not always really the case. Ethically, the conscientious girl is certainly above the boy who, not infrequently in the unconscious instinct of self-preservation, idles away his time. But the mental strength of the latter may frequently be better preserved in any determined direction. Girls conscientious and zealous in their work have filled their heads full of lessons to which the coming examination and not their own choice has urged them. What is thus crammed in is not assimilated and consequently has not promoted spiritual or mental growth, but it has taken up room and has thereby impaired the intellectual freedom of motion and compelled the natural individuality to compress itself so that it is long before the space conditions in the brain permit it to extend again, in case it is not simply choked by all the chaotic mass that has been absorbed. How many young girls have come to the university or to the art academy full of thirst for knowledge and energy for work? But after a few years, they feel the disgust of surfeit, unless they have found a teacher who has been to them a leader to the essentials in science or in art. Then their joy in study could really be as rich as they once had dreamed it. Yes, and perhaps even their grandmothers had dreamed it when they had to content themselves with their little textbooks written for girls. Many young girls maintain today, through some teacher or some masculine comrade, that spiritual development which only an exceptional relationship between a father and a daughter, a brother and a sister, could give in earlier times. When men and women can study together, then the relationship later between masculine and feminine fellow workmen will, as a rule, be better than when the sexes work independently in the student days. It is true, masculine competitors still have recourse to the weapon of spreading reports of the incapacity of their feminine competitors, at times honestly convinced of it themselves. 
The same weapon is, of course, turned also against masculine competitors. Yet there it is a question of the individual, while in regard to women, the sex is often the only proof that the man thinks he needs a sign for the inferiority of their work. It can be said, however, upon the whole, that the relationship between men and women professional colleagues exhibits the same good side as the common student life, although naturally to a lesser degree. The joint work does not often leave much time for significant interchange of ideas, and after working hours, each usually longs for new faces. The influence of joint labor is often limited to the refining effect that the presence of one sex exercises upon the other. Small services are mutually rendered, and each worker learns also to respect the achievements of the other, or one is provoked because the work which should have been dispatched by the other now falls into his share. If the woman performs the same work as the men, then she is often indignant because she must do it for a smaller compensation than he. All too easily, the feminists forget that this injustice is equalized if a man who wishes to establish a family cannot obtain a post which he seeks because a woman retains it, who can be satisfied with a smaller wage since she remains in her parents' home. For this disparity, raising bitterness on both sides, there is no remedy under the present economic system. Feminists can demand the same compensation, but working women will not obtain it so long as the supply of workers is to the demand as 100 to 1 in the professional occupations to which women flock. In vain, underpaid women will call to the agitators of the woman movement, help us to obtain endurable conditions of life. The only honest is, help one another, just as the working men have helped one another, by union and solidarity. The competition of the sexes in the labor field is only indirectly connected with the women movement. It is a part of the social question and will therefore only be touched upon here. The hostility which the competition between the sexes has evoked is a factor in the social war, and if by reason of this competition marriage decreases, then such competition is a form of social danger. If the cause is sought in the woman movement, then the question is begged completely, because the woman with sufficient income to be able to live at a home without industrial work, after the loss of a husband or a father, are constantly becoming more rare. There is the additional fact that in many positions where men and women have equal salary, the woman is preferred because of her greater honesty and faithfulness to duty. Further, it must be emphasized that even in middle-class vocations, women with increasing frequency earn their whole livelihood, not merely a supplementary remuneration, when, if they did not thus work, they should be a burden of some man and so perhaps prevent him from marrying. Many of these women would wish nothing better than to enjoy the warmth of the domestic hearth, to which men in theory relegate them. But since no man offers this warmth, they must at least be allowed to procure fuel for their lonely hearth fire. When men declare that the only duty which has life value for a woman is to be a man's helpmeet, then they ought not to forget that this task is more and more rarely assigned to a woman because men prefer to do without her aid and even find a richer life in bachelorhood than in marriage.
they should not dare to forget also that a great number of men disinclined or disqualified for work compelled their sisters daughters wives to undertake the task of family provider and these women also must forego being in the quiet of the home men's helpmate however weak the feminist logic often may be it is not so weak as the anti-feminist logic of men masculine vacuity has often found there an arena where it performs the most incredible gymnastics the hysteria of literary fanatics the crude lordy instincts of the mediocre men the irritation of the masculine good-for-nothing at the increasing ability of women the rage confounding cause and effect over the competition of women these are some of the reasons for the present antagonism between men and women the deepest reason is this the more woman is compelled to maintain the struggle for existence under the same social conditions as those under which men have been thus far compelled to struggle the more she loses that character by which she gives happiness to men and receives it from him a diminished erotic attraction is frequently the result not of the work of women but of their work under such conditions that the drudging worn-out women comrades finally appear to their masculine colleagues only as sexless ants sometimes they really exhibit that obliteration of all characteristic marks of sex which munir has indicated to us in his woman minor a great thought-inspiring work of art many a woman of the present time deeply feminine suffers under this compulsory neutralizing of her womanly being others again consider this a path to complete humanity but the complete personality is only that man or woman who has cultivated and exercised the strength which he or she as a human being possessed without having neutralized thereby the characteristics of sex it is tragic when nature herself creates deviations from the normal sexuality but criminal when the ideas of the time weaken sound instincts and inculcate unsound ones it is not woman nature but the denatured women who is beginning to go through the ultra feminism which looks down upon woman's normal sexual duty as only a low animal function that sound men abominate this tendency is justifiable on the other hand it is unwarrantable to confuse a variation of feminism with the woman movement in its entirety a movement which includes in itself a great earnest desire to work for the welfare of both mothers and children as a manifestation of womanliness in its most complete perfect form many men still elect a woman whose entire life content consists in the cult of her own beauty a cult whose attendant phenomenon is the aesthetic culture which raises the temple about the altar under this perfect and apparently inspired form there is however rarely anything to be found of that which the man seeks the longing and the power of the true womanhood to give happiness by erotic and motherly devotion such women like those cerebral women engrossed by their studies and their work allow a real love to pass them by men are only sacrificial servants of the cult and the high priest is chosen not upon the ground of motives of feeling this type is said to be more common in america than in europe but it existed thousands of years ago on the tiber as well as on the nile that cleopatra in the language of feminism now speaks of the right of the personality and means thereby her right to represent no other value in life than that of the white peacock and the black orchid the value of rarity that does not make her a product of the woman movement 
but certain men characterize a woman thus if they have been deceived in her a psychology which equals in value that of the feminist when she speaks of men as the oppressor the corrupter without nothing that the world is full of poor men corrupted and tormented by women amid such mutual accusations just or unjust whereby gifted men maintain generalizations about woman's being which are quite as ingenious as those which silly women propose about men's being the sexes in the days of the woman movement have been almost as much alienated from each other as drawn together the estrangement has taken place in the erotic field and through labor competition the reconciliation has been effected leaving out coeducation by common industry and the social activity of both sexes the middle-class women of europe have still so little share in the control of production that one cannot determine whether or not they have even awakened to the understanding that the fundamental condition of the universal life-enhancing issue of women movement must be new social conditions one cannot yet predicate anything at all in regard to their desires to promote more humane labor conditions and a more just distribution of profit under the system now prevailing they must like men either conform to it or be destroyed economically it is even so in public offices and similar fields of labor just as so many young men do at the beginning of their career a great number of women attempt to abolish the abuses and mitigate the formalism but they meet such obstacles that like the young men they are obliged to abandon the effort or they are compelled to give up the position whereby they win their scanty bread in this way principally the work of women in the sphere of charitable activity has given to men the opportunity for a correct valuation of the social working power of women men have then in a wider sphere than that of the family circle so often overlooked by them learned to appreciate feminine enthusiasm and capacity for organization energy and devotion initiative and endurance innumerable men from the soldiers up who in the hospitals of crimea literally kissed florence nightingale's shadow on the floor of the hospital ward have learned in the last half century that life has become more kindly for them since social motherliness has obtained for itself a certain elbow room the more women lose their present fear of appearing in cooperation with men womanly impulsive savage in the face of injustice and cruelty the more they will signify in that joint work where at least today they still have a more fortunate hand the hand of the mother and since a single fact is more convincing than a thousand words so the facts gained in the social activity of women have won in later years many men supporters of the woman's suffrage the arguments derived from abstract right however obvious they may be for every tax-paying law-abiding women go to the rear to make way for the argument of social utility not only women themselves but men also refer now to what women have accomplished when they are allowed to work in the service of society they point to the reforms which were retarded or bungled because women had no immediate influence there where appropriations were granted and laws were enacted especially significant for the reconciliation of the sexes is the joint social work of young people the temperance cause or the education of the masses or socialism now brings together a host of young men and girls who learn thereby that the social as well as the private life of labor gains its strength and wealth if men and women participate in it together 
The men who fear political life for women are, however, right. Just as this life has injured the best qualities in the manhood of the many men, so it will impair the womanhood of many women. Neither the spiritual personality of women nor of men, nor even their secondary physical sex characteristics can withstand the influences of their private milieu of their private labor conditions. Why should women better resist the influences of the public life? when the man is compelled in political work for the state to neglect in the highest degree the foundation of the state the home how should women be able to do otherwise than the same thing the political work of both can benefit the home in general but their own home must always suffer for it for a time at least women will learn so as many men have already learned that the fresh enthusiasm the unexhausted optimism with which they enter the political life soon vanish before party pressure general prejudice opportunism and the demands of compromise and just as now so many men for these reasons withdraw from parliament many women will likewise when they learn that what they can accomplish there with the characteristics peculiar to them is so insignificant that it does not compensate for the injury which ensues because these characteristics are missing in the home if the liability of women is really to benefit society then the right of resignation must be unconditioned for mothers and they themselves must understand that the parliamentary mandate is incompatible with motherhood so long as the children are still in the home in like manner during the same period the franchise of the mother of a family must not result in a rushing into electioneering the ballot in and for itself does not injure the fitness of woman's hand any more than a cooking receipt because woman's motherhood must be preserved if she is to bring to the social organism a really new factor so she must always continue to be found and to work in private life in order to be meanwhile useful in public life the genius of social reform which women will develop can complement that of men only if this genius is of a new order if it originates thoughts which bring new points of view to the social problems wills which seek new means souls which aspire to new ends women could if they received their full civic right before they lost their intuitive and instinctive power through masculinization effect the progress of culture as for example the entrance of the germans influenced the antique world the sooner a woman receives her political franchise the more on the whole can be expected from it the generation which has now fought the right for suffrage is wholly conscious of the reforms that await women for their final realization and this generation of women would introduce into the political life a new fresh current in any event we can hope to secure from women new impulses and better organization in political life as has already been the case in social life but every new generation of parliamentary women who together with the men have been politically trained would have as long as the present economic conditions obtain continually greater economic interest to advocate parliamentary and would also for other reasons evince the same parliamentary maladies as the men evince now and as little as evil men lose their evil characteristics because of the franchise quite as little will bad women lose theirs the entrance of women into politics cannot therefore as certain feminists maintain signify the victory of the noble over the ignoble 
but it signifies a great increase in noble as well as ignoble powers hitherto in active and political life in the wider sphere that they there maintain oppose one another now conquering now yielding men and women together however will be able to enact more human laws than men alone can enact questions concerning women and children can be treated with deeper seriousness by men and women together than is now the case men and women together will consider the social life from more significant points of view than can one sex alone government consisting of men and women together will be more profound than heretofore no one who has observed the effects of masculine and feminine cooperation in fields already mentioned can doubt this who can deny that with the civic right of woman her freeing of social responsibility will increase and that her horizon will widen and therewith her value as wife and mother of men will also increase but she will increase in value for the men closely connected with her as well as in social respects the woman of earlier times for all whom society might go to pieces if only her home and family prospered was only in a restricted sense men's help in certain great crises, she usually betrayed him simply because she wholly lacked the social feeling. Obviously, the female member of the parliament cannot confine herself solely to questions which concern the protection of the weaker and the education of the new race. The more women concentrate upon the cause of justice against power and of public spirit against self-interest, the more advantageous it will be for her, herself, and for the public life. But concentration is, unfortunately, exactly what modern parliamentarism does not promote. What it does promote is disintegration. Women has, however, where she has entered into parliamentary life as a lecturer and a liable, shown thus far exactly this tendency towards concentration. She has worked for moral temperance and hygienic questions, for questions concerning schools and education of the masses, for mother and child protection, reform of marriage laws, and kindred subjects. What thinking men can maintain that all this does not belong to woman's sphere, or can say that these and similar social interests have been sufficiently attended by an exclusively masculine government? Already the opposite danger appears in certain social spheres, an exclusively feminine government. In the present forms of public life, however, much feminine power will without doubt be wasted only when men upon a higher plane has created a new kind of representation of the people where professional interests in every sphere are represented can the highest vocation of women motherhood come into its rights it belongs to the necessary course of historical development that women also go through the stage of party power politics in order together with men to reach the stage of social politics and finally that of culture politics but women cannot wait until this development has been attained, they must accomplish it together with men. Just as the best masculine powers sooner or later must be concentrated to transform increasingly untenable parliamentary conditions, so the best feminine powers will also work in the same direction, especially if the will becomes intense in mothers not only to awaken in their children the social spirit, but also to create for them better social conditions. In later years, the movement for the suffrage of women has not only filled the world with suffrage societies, but the agitation has even achieved popular representation in 18 European countries, in the legislative assemblies of a number of American states, in Australasia, in legislative assemblies in Canada and in the Philippines, in Iceland as well as in Italy, in Japan as in South Africa, the movement is in progress and whoever thinks it will not attain its goal is politically blind. 
when anti-feminist men prophesy that men will love their mothers, sisters, wives, and daughters less when pitted against them as political opponents or competitors, they prophesy, certainly in many cases, the truth. Politics have already estranged the fathers from sons, brothers from brothers, but this demonstrates only either that the personal feelings were weaker than the political passions or that these latter have destroyed the attributes which made the personality lovable. But if men are really able to love and women remain lovable, even as political personalities, then a man will not cease to love a woman even if she votes for a different congressional candidate. Such prophecies have not been verified in other spheres from which men sought to intimidate women by similar warnings. For women retains her power over men, if she retains her womanly charm created out of peace, harmony, and kindness. Not that of which a woman speaks, not that for which she works determines man's feeling and conduct, but how she does it. A woman may charm a man by a political speech and drive him away by her table talk. A poor working woman can, without a word, induce the same man to give her his seat in a streetcar, who the next minute can be brutal to an assuming and incapable fellow workwoman. In a word, what a woman makes of her rights and what they make of her, that alone determines the measure of veneration, sympathy, love, which she may expect from a man. That women have lost their equilibrium cannot be denied. How could it be otherwise? Not only have they, in the last half-century, experienced, together with men, naturalism and the new romantic movement, neo-Kantism and the higher criticism, Bismarck and Bebel, Darwin and Spencer, Wagner and Nietzsche, Ibsen and Tolstoy, Haeckel and Verhutman, and still many, many more, but they themselves in dizzy haste have been hurled out of their position in society, protected by the family which they had occupied for centuries. It is obvious that at the present moment, the spiritual mobility of women must be greater than their harmony, that the raw culture material which they possess must be richer than that which they can utilize, their life experiences more significant than their art of life. The modern woman must appear for the present less symmetrical, more uncertain than man's ideal woman in earlier times. But enduring cultural progress cannot be measured by comparison with the ideal figures of the poetry or of the life of earlier times. It must be estimated according to the average type in a certain period. And the average woman of our time is, in the fullest significance of the word, more full of vitality and adaptability, more individually developed, more beneficial socially than the average woman of 50 years ago. With the freedom of movement, the social feeling has increased. With the participation in universal human culture, the richness of content, the spiritual life has become more complex, and the possibilities of expression in this new soul life more numerous. But since the average man in the meantime has undergone no comparable development, he is estranged, has lost his bearings, and consequently repudiates a movement which directly and indirectly makes such a great demand for the development of his own higher spiritual qualities. Heretofore, men could force women to endure undue interference, and so have deprived them of the education wherein possible consequences of action are considered at the same time with the thought of action. But the woman movement has now raised a partition between the sexes such as is found in the aquarium where it becomes necessary to teach the pike to allow the carp also to live. Every time the pike makes a dash at the carp, he strikes his head against the obstruction, until the motive of repression becomes so strong that the glass wall can be taken away and both carp and pike live together in peace.
End of section 8. Read by Anna Naumoska.